Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. What is going on, Cornerstone Church? Make some noise wherever you're at. Let us know where you're at. It's our roll call. We do it every, every week, right? Let us know if you're in Porter's Lakes people, our, our people in Ellet, our people in Talmadge, our people in Magador, our people in Camp. We had people last week, Philippines. The Philippines, that's crazy, right? We're, we're going all over, taking this church thing everywhere. <laughs> so post where you're watching from. Also post just something you're thankful for. Just post something you're thankful for, uh, something that God has done in your life this week, a way that he's uh, showed up for you, just something he's done. God showed up for me in a big way. My wife gave me a haircut and she did a good job. Like it's, it's not, I was like, I'm going to be preaching. She cut my hair yesterday. I'm like, I'm going to be preaching in a baseball hat. Like if she doesn't do good. So, but she did good. She did good. But yeah, post something you're thankful for, uh, something that God is doing in your life. You know what I am thankful for? I am thankful for a God who loves everyone, who values everyone. Red, yellow, black, and white, they're all precious in his sight. That is something that we believe as a church. That's something we stand for as a church. You can count on Cornerstone being a church that welcomes all people that sees all people for the beautiful creations of God that they are. And we will stand behind that. And we stand behind justice for all. No exceptions. No exceptions. So that's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that we are on the side of God in that area. So back to uh, today. Last week, um, last week, we started off this series, Better Than the Bible. And you may have been wondering as you were watching it, uh, where's the pastor going with this? <laughs> I thought this was a Bible-believing church. If that was you, if you want to be honest, just throw up like a little raised hand emoji in the comments, right? Like, yeah, that was me. I was kind of wondering where you were going. I was like, does this guy even believe the Bible? What's, what's he really talking about? But if you weren't with us last week, let me give you just a real quick recap of where we have been and what we talked about. So we mentioned how uh, the pull towards Jesus, the pull towards the Bible typically is an emotional one. Right? It's, it's very emotional. We feel um, Jesus worked for us or the Bible worked for us. And so our personal experience dictates that we start following it. And yeah, this is great because Jesus helped save my marriage. Jesus and the Bible helped me break addiction. It, it helped do this thing in my life. I found a family at church. And so we have this emotional pool, which is great. But typically we, we discard the logical stuff because we don't care about it. Just like we don't care about it in other relationships, right? You're, you're dating a guy and you, you fall in love and you don't care that you're a family person and you want to stay close and that he wants to move cross country for a job, right? You're like, uh, that logical, I don't, I don't need to hear it right now. It's all emotional. But eventually the logical does pop up. Eventually the tough questions that you have in a relationship do rise up and the same thing happens in our relationship with scripture and our relationship with Jesus. Because eventually he doesn't work the way we think he's going to work. Or he does something a little bit different and it causes us to stumble a little bit and go, whoa, 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 this is not fitting with what I thought. And so we look at the scripture, we look at Jesus with a little bit more skeptical and of an eye and suddenly we're going, ugh. Remember we had the Jenga tower. We're like, ugh, man, the story of Jonah and the whale and a literal six day creation and all the stuff the Bible says about women. This is, this is kind of hard. And we start pulling these blocks away and before we know it, our faith is standing, but it's shaky or it's fallen. 
right? It's fallen. And we still come to church. We go through the motions, but there's really nothing going on in our heart. We're not really allowing God to move in us anymore. And so we said, we need something better. We need something better to hinge our faith on, something better than just, well, the Bible says so. We all need something better if we're gonna have a faith that can stand the tough questions, not just the tough questions of the world, the tough questions of your own heart, the questions that you try to push off because you're like, I don't even wanna think about it. It makes me feel uneasy and it makes me feel queasy. I don't even wanna discuss those or think about them. We need a faith that can address and answer even those questions. We need something better. And that is what we are talking about today. If you would, wherever you're at, bow your heads with me. Let's just pray real quick. Father God, I know the word that you have placed on my heart to share, uh, not just today, but next week as well as we finish off this series, um, is so important. God, I've felt you time and time again reminding me that this might be some of the most important sermon topics that I preach on in a while because of uh, uh, just the state of of the world and the state of our heart and how uh, we see religion completely declining, uh, people just saying that there's a lack of faith. And so God, help us, help me today uh, to be able to speak your word clearly and help everyone who is listening today to be able uh, uh, to push aside any distractions to be able to hear the word from you today. We love you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to jump right into it. We do have something better than the Bible. We have something better than a book. We have an event. We have something better than a book. We have an event. My grandpa, uh, James Mason, you've probably heard me speak about him because I somehow drop him in like every third message. (laughs) Like I end up talking about him because he's just such an amazing man. Such an amazing man. His life story, uh, he's like a myth, right? This guy, he was a pastor, but before that, he served in the military. He was at Pearl Harbor when it was bombed. He was there. Uh, he, was, uh, he jumped. He was a paratrooper. He jumped into Normandy on D-Day, part of the uh, D-Day uh, invasion. Uh, he was there the night before. I believe it was the night before uh, whenever they jumped uh, into Normandy, and he heard Winston Churchill give his speech where he talked to all the soldiers and told them, Men, tomorrow the fate of the free world rests in your hands. Like the stuff he saw, the stuff he was a part of is just bonkers, right? It's just, it's crazy. And one of the things that was cool is as he got older, a lot of high schools in the area would invite him to come speak about his, his experience uh, during the war. That He would come on, you know, Veterans Day or, uh, you know, the anniversary of the Pearl Harbor attack. So he would go and he would speak. And as I was studying for the sermon, I'm thinking like, yeah, that makes sense that they would want to have him come in uh, because of what he saw, because of what he experienced. But from a logical perspective, you're going, well, why, why bring him in to speak? I mean, don't you guys have history books? Right? I mean, you guys have books. You got plenty of books around. You got plenty of history books. You got McGraw-Sawhill books all up in that joint, right? They're everywhere. You've got, you've got plenty of history. You don't need him to come in to tell you what happened, do you? Yet, he would get booked time and time again, Garraway, Louisville, place after place, having him come in and speak. And the reason they did that is because he was an eyewitness. Because him talking about it, him talking about his experience, suddenly it became better than just a history book. Suddenly it became an event. Suddenly it wasn't just, oh yeah, the Japanese, uh, they flew planes in and bombed. Suddenly it's James Mason saying, we saw planes flying overhead. We thought they were ours until we noticed we could see through the cockpit and see the helmets with the Japanese rising sun emblem on the side and we knew we were under attack. Suddenly there is life and there is dimension to the words of just a book, yeah. right? Yeah. 
And even books, I mean, we have people who, who argue with even textbooks, right? We have people who argue with history as it's written. I'm not saying that. I'm not someone who argues with what history books say or anything like that. But here's the great thing. If you are or if you know someone, yeah, you can argue with an expert and what they wrote in a book, but you can't argue with an eyewitness to an event. You just can't. It's unassailable. An eyewitness to an event, someone who is actually there, who actually experienced something, you can't say anything to it, right? And that's what we have. That is our better than a book. We have eyewitnesses. We have an event. We have something that people actually experienced. We have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is the basis for our belief. That is the foundation that everything hangs on. That is the literal linchpin of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's it. That is the difference. Take away, I mean, if you take away the resurrection from Christianity, if you take away Jesus dying and rising again, if you take that away, honestly answer the question for yourself, what separates Christianity from any other world religion with the holy book? They all got holy books. Everyone's got a holy book, right? If, if you're a religion, you have a holy book. If you take away Jesus and him coming back, how are we any different? What separate, separates us? It is the difference. Post that in the comment. It's the difference. It's the difference. It is the better than. It is the difference. It's the thing that separates us. Not the teachings. And don't get me wrong. I love the teachings of Jesus. I love the way Jesus taught. I love the way that he loved the lowest, the last, and the least. I love the way that Jesus elevated women from second-class citizens to people who are co-partners in the gospel and co-partners in the world. I love the way Jesus elevated the status of children. How children were thought of as just, you know, whatever, and he made them valued commodities, like valued people, right? These were, these were people that he said, come, let the little children come to me. Jesus had incredible teachings, but they're not the basis for our faith. Christianity teaches some incredible morality, and it's not the basis for our faith. The basis for our faith, for our belief, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's it. This is how the Apostle Paul words it. He writes this in his letter to the church in the city of Corinth. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you by which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, by this good news, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. He continues, otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Put that in the comments. It's important. It's important. This is of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's the name for Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and then last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. If Christ, and this is where Paul just sums this all up and he just makes his case. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, if only for this life we have that hope, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
Wow. It is important. It is of first importance. That's how crucial the resurrection of Jesus is. So if you're a Christian out there, if you're a believer, I want to tell you, I'm talking directly to you. I know that we've said this series is for Christians and and new believers and skeptics. Skeptics, you can hold on for a second, okay? I want to talk directly to Christians. Christians, stop burying the lead. Stop burying the lead. We are, if you've ever heard that term before, burying the lead is whenever someone's writing an article or they're, they're, they're a journalist and they're writing something and they take what's of primary importance, but they bury it in the story and they put secondary information first. We have got to stop burying the lead. Why, why are you a Christian? I'm asking this directly to you. If you are a believer, why are you a Christian? Honestly answer that for yourself, not a church approved answer or anything like that. I want you to really search your heart and really think, why am I a Christian? Is it your family? Your grandparents believed in Jesus. Your parents believe in Jesus. And so they took you to church and now you just kind of go to and you guess you believe in God and Jesus too. And once you have kids, they'll probably go too because it's just what your family does, Right. Maybe that's why you think you're a Christian. Maybe you think you're a Christian because it's just tradition, right? It's a routine, it's structure. It's something that you wanna set up in your life and going to church and meeting new people. It gives you uh, some sense of accomplishment and that structure that you need in your life. So that's why you follow Jesus. Or maybe it's what we've been talking about. You're someone who you're like, hey, Jesus worked. He, he, he broke my addiction. He, he saved my marriage. He, you know, my, my finances have gotten better since I've become a Christian. Like Jesus and the Bible, this, this stuff has worked for me, and that's really why you're a Christian. If any of those describe you, or maybe it's something I didn't even list, I wanna let you know you are burying the lead. That is not the reason you are a Christian, okay? That's not it at all. You wanna know why you're a Christian? Because Jesus actually got up. That's why you're a believer. That's why any of us are here, because Jesus actually did what he said he was gonna do. We're here because of a historical event that actually happened, not because Jesus worked. That, which is great. I love that he works, but that's not why you're a believer. I, I love that your family has this, has this lineage of Christianity, but that's not why you're a believer. I love that you want structure in your life, but that's not it either. Stop burying the lead. You are a Christian because Jesus actually died, and three days later, he actually rose again. That is why any of us are here. Without it, we are most pitied of all people. <laughs> Without it, We are most pitied. A futile faith. You want to see the profile of a futile faith? Let's look at the post-crucifixion disciples real quick, okay? This is a profile of a futile faith. I know whenever we think about like the the elections that we have, um, I know we just had the one in 2016. We have another one coming up in 2020. but, But just think about it for a second. So we have election 2016. Everyone thinks it's going to be a landslide for Hillary Clinton. Um, The results start coming in and it's like, whoa, it's going to be a lot closer than we thought. And then more and more results come in and you go, holy cow, like this is, I don't think even Donald Trump thought this was going to happen, right? Like this is crazy. He's he's actually going to end up winning this thing. And I remember whenever they like shot the camera, because I was watching it, um, whenever they shot the camera to uh, Clinton headquarters that night for like the, what was supposed to be the party, just seeing the look on faces. I mean, people weeping. People inconsolable, people just completely devastated. And I'm not trying to trivialize it at all. I get it. People had put their values and they voted for the values and they they voted for a certain candidate. So I get it, right? And they worked hard for it. But as I'm watching the people like literally weeping, I'm thinking, but she's not dead. 
Like, <laughs> she's going to come out and make a speech. Like, we have a, a, a peaceful transfer of power here in our country. Like, she's going to come out and make a speech. She's, she's going to be okay. Like, we're not going to do anything bad to her, <laughs> right? That's just over losing an election. That's just over a candidate losing an election. People feeling just so hopeless. And what do we do now? What do we do now? Think about Jesus' disciples. Think, really try to put yourself in their shoes and what they were going through, what they were thinking in that moment as they're watching him stripped naked, beaten beyond recognition with a whip, and then nailed to a board to hang there until he dies. Can you even imagine? Futile. I, I, once they got past the moment of like, I can't believe my friend is dying like this. They had to, whenever they all got back together and were meeting behind closed doors thinking, what do we do? Like, what do we do? We left our jobs to follow this guy. Like I left my family. I left, I left people behind to follow him because I believed what he said. I thought we were going to start a revolution. I thought we were going to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. And obviously that's not happening now. What do we do? That's what Paul's talking about when he says, without the resurrection of Jesus, we have a futile faith. We have a faith that is in vain. But something happened. <laughs> but something happened. Something that changed everything. Suddenly these disciples, these people who denied Jesus, who deserted Jesus, who left Jesus, Peter, who confronted by a small child, by a girl saying, hey, weren't you one of the 12? Weren't you with Jesus? Cursed at her and said, I don't even know the man. These disciples who ran away and deserted him, which by the way, this is another reason we know scripture is true. Who in the world includes that in your autobiography unless it actually happened? right? I've heard other pastors talk about this. Like, who includes that? You leave the embarrassing stuff out. If I'm writing my story, I'm going, they all ran, but I stayed, and I fought off 15 Roman centurions saying, not, not on my watch, Jesus. Like, I'm staying with you. That's what you say. You don't say, yeah, I, I fled too. In fact, I was so scared that a little girl's words had me so frightened, I cursed at her and said I didn't even know Jesus. You don't include that unless it's legit. You don't include that in your own autobiography unless that actually happened. And that's what happened. They, they denied him, they deserted him, but something happened, something that changed everything. Suddenly, these cowardly followers are all joining back up together in the very same city, in the same streets that Jesus marched his cross to Golgotha. They're in those same streets, suddenly, with power and with boldness, preaching Christ raised from the dead. Something happened. Something better than a book. Something better than a book. In our remaining time, I want us to uh, zero in on Acts chapter 5. If you want to open up another tab, you can. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5. I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite pieces of scripture. This piece of scripture, it makes me want to run through a wall. Like every time I read it, I'm like, yeah, because it's just, it's so good. It's so good. Let me fill in the, I'll just fill in the history real quick. So Jesus is uh, tried. He's, uh, he's arrested. He's tried. He's crucified. He raises uh, from the dead, spends about 40 days with his followers, and then he returns 
to the Father. But before he returns, he tells them, I want you all to stay right here. Like no one leave, everyone stay in Jerusalem. I'm gonna be sending the helper. We just talked about this in our last series, right? Uh, wildfire, I'm gonna be sending the Holy Spirit, a helper to comfort you, to guide you, to advocate for you. I'm gonna be sending him, stay here. So that's what they do. They stay there and then sure enough, the day of Pentecost arrives, the Holy Spirit comes and they are all filled with this boldness, this audacity to make these claims about Jesus, this confidence that came out of nowhere. And so they take to the streets and they start preaching and that's where we picked up. Acts chapter five, starting in verse 11. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Can I just stop real quick? This has nothing to do with the sermon, nothing to do with the sermon, but I just feel like I need to point this out. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. I feel like that's us. Like, I feel like that's Cornerstone Church, like specifically us. Not saying that people aren't joining our church, they are, but we're taking some pretty bold steps as a church. Like we're walking with a boldness and an audacity and a confidence and we're taking some pretty bold steps and I feel like, yeah, there's some people who are scared to join in even though they're highly regarding us, right? There's some people who are kind of afraid to join in because we're taking such bold steps because we are following after Jesus and after his example and so they're going, "Uh, I don't know if I wanna join but I regard them because you know what? You may leave, you may not join but we know who you're calling when you need a funeral. We know who you're calling when you need counseled. We know who you're calling when you need loved. We know who you're calling when you need cleaned up. You're coming back here. And guess what? You'll always know where to find us. Following right after Jesus. That's where we'll always be. You don't gotta worry about where we've gone. You don't have to worry about where we're at. You don't have to join. That's fine. That's fine. We are just following our Savior and his example of love, his example of grace. We're good. And when you need us, you know exactly where to find us. You know exactly where we're at. So, sorry, I'll get off of my soapbox now and hop back in. (laughs) I even love how, like, nevertheless, all right, here we go. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. They are growing and growing and growing. Continues in verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. This word for jealousy literally means boiling hot, boiling hot. They were boiling with anger. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. I'm just gonna give a little bit of a uh, history on this word, the Sadducees. The Sadducees, uh, they are a member of the ancient Jewish um, like ruling class, it was really divided up into two groups. Uh, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And really what separated the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had a few different disagreements, but the main thing that separated them is the Pharisees believed in the oral Torah, the oral Torah, which is the Torah, it's the holy books, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books uh, that God gave to Moses. And they believed in an oral interpretation of those. And what that means is, yes, this is what God said. And then through our study, through our meditation, through, through God speaking to us, we see what it means and how it actually applies to our life. It's an oral Torah. It's something that we put into application that we, that we add to, but only in the sense as God inspires us and shows us what this really means. The Sadducees on the the other hand, we're like, no, 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 no. Written Torah. No oral Torah. <laughs> written Torah. Only what God has literally written down, only the letters in the book, that is it. Don't dare try to apply it. Don't dare try to add to it. Nothing, nothing like that. 
And so I find it funny <laughs> that the Sadducees, people of the written Torah, people of the book, were wanting nothing to do with the better than that came along. Wow. Better than a Bible? Better than, better than the Torah? No, 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 no. We only like the written words. We only like the written book. There can be nothing better than the book, right? There can be nothing better. The Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They were filled with anger. Wow. People of a book, they don't like anything better than coming along because it challenges things. It upsets the status quo. They do not like that. The Sadducees were filled with anger. They had the disciples thrown in jail. The next verse, verse 27. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. This is like a, a, the ruling council. It's a tribunal, almost like a, a trial, to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees are saying, hey, you're, you're teaching everybody this stuff and you're gonna get people riled up against us. To which I think in this moment, I gotta imagine if I'm standing there and, it, and like I'm seeing all this take place, that whenever they said, you filled it with your teaching, that the apostles, Peter, James, John, all of them were like, what, our teaching? <laughs> oh, you think we're out here teaching? That's hilarious, you think we're out here teaching. Okay, I didn't realize that that's what you thought. And maybe you're in the same boat as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see Christianity as nothing more than a teaching. It's a teaching. You're out here with your teaching. You're out here with your doctrine, with your ideas, with your dogma, what you think is the best way to live life. And that's what you think. Christianity is nothing more than self-help to you. It's nothing more than to help you have a, a positive outlook on life. Or maybe it's just another group to try, right? It's another way to connect with people and make friends. After all, you need friends and people at church kind of have to like you, right? Because we're church people, so we got to like you. And so you're here just to find another group. Maybe you're here to try to, you know, make some good habits form in your life, which, which is great. But that's what Christianity is to you. It's, it's just, it's teaching. And so I got to think the apostles are going, that's hilarious that you thought we are out here teaching. No, no, you, you got it wrong. I'm not an educator. I'm an eyewitness. I, I'm not teaching. <laughs> I'm not teaching. I'm telling about what I saw. You see, if this was just a, an idea I came up with, you could convince me otherwise. If this is just something I thought of on my own, I could be convinced out of it. I'm not a schooled person. But you see, I'm not an educator. I'm an eyewitness. I saw something. I have to tell people about it. I have to let people know what I have seen with my own two eyes. All I know is I saw him hanging on a cross Friday and Sunday night I was eating dinner with him. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I'm an eyewitness. I have something better. Peter continues. This is how he phrases it. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You gotta imagine if you're a Pharisee or a Sadducee and you're sitting in the Sanhedrin, you gotta be elbowing people next to you going, who are these guys? <laughs> like, are these the same dudes who were just running away scared and we couldn't find any of them? We, we tried to kill more of them. We tried to put them up on a cross with Jesus, but we couldn't find a single person who would admit to following him. We couldn't find a single person who said they even knew him. Who are these guys? These are the same 
disciples, these are the same people coming before us with this bold, audacious claim, with this confidence. And get this, not only are they calling out Jesus's killers to their face, think about it. What they are doing, the Pharisees and Sadducees, these are people, these aren't just like smart people. These are people who have been educated their entire lives. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they knew the 610 commandments of Moses just from memory. They knew the history of Israel from memory. They just, they were so knowledgeable about what the prophets said, about what the law said, about what the poets said. They knew all of this. And guess what you have happening in this moment? You have a guy going, yeah, I'm a, I'm a former fisherman. He's got a few other fishermen back here. Uh, got some prostitutes too. The former, former prostitutes, former prostitutes in our midst. Um, and then some tax collectors. But yeah, that, that's pretty much us. And we're here to tell you Mr. Experts, that the most important thing in here, literally the most important thing that the prophets say, that the law says, that everything has been pointing to, not only did you miss it, you killed it. Imagine the boldness and the audacity that the disciples had in that moment to call them out to their face. And so if you're one of these members of the Sanhedrin, you're going, who in the world are these people? Where did they get this confidence And it's simple. The confidence comes right here. We are witnesses. (laughs) We're witnesses. We saw it. We saw it. You cannot convince us otherwise. If you've ever watched local news, some of the most confident people in the world are the eyewitnesses that they interview, right? They're crazy. (laughs) The local eyewitnesses, whenever something happens, that's who they call. The local news, it's like, hey, let's find people who saw this to describe what happened. They don't call an expert. Hey, let's get, who's who's our expert on airline crashes and stuff? Let's call them. They're like, no, let's call the people who actually saw this happen, who who heard a malfunction with the plane, who who saw it starting to, to go down. Let's talk to them because they actually saw it. There's a confidence that comes whenever you are a witness. We have witnesses. Why don't you post that in the comments? I got a witness. I got a witness. Peter and the apostles said, we are witnesses to these things. The next verse, Acts 5.33 says, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. You see, most people don't want a better than. Most people are very content with whatever holy book, whatever idea they have about God, they just wanted to say as is. Most people do not want a better than. Because can I just be honest? And again, you might be like, this is a pastor saying this. I'm just gonna be honest. The Bible, it's a lot easier to accept and it's a lot easier to reject than Jesus is. It's easy to accept this. I can make this say whatever I want it to, right? I can make this okay any sin that I commit in my life while damning other people for theirs. I can make this say anything about God I want it to say. I can proof text the daylights out of this thing all day, right? I can go all day, make my life just feel so good because I'm, I'm a Bible-following Christian. I follow the Bible, It's so easy to accept and it's so easy to reject. It's the Jenga tower. Just pull out a few of those blocks that supposedly have to happen or else I can't believe this and the whole thing crumbles. It's it's way too easy. Most people don't want a better than because a better than requires me to be better. A better than asks more of me. Jesus is gonna ask a whole lot more than the Bible does. Jesus is way, way harder to accept. He is way harder to accept. His standard for love, his standard for grace, his standard for mercy, that's, we talked about last week, that is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You mean I have to forgive people? You mean I have to love people? You mean I have to do all these things? That's hard to accept. That's hard to accept. And on the flip side, he's hard to reject. 
How do you turn away a God like Jesus? How do you turn away, a, a, how, how do you shoot him down? People who are critics of Jesus, they can't find anything to criticize. How do you reject him? What, do you reject his love, his mercy, his compassion? <laughs> like, what, what do you have a problem with? Jesus is the answer. Next verse, verse 34. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, and this is where everything turns. I love this. This is so good. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. So he stands up and he says, hey, the apostles, let's get them out of here. I need to talk to everybody. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, the rest of the tribunal. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census. He led a bunch of people in a revolt. Guess what happened? He too was killed, and guess what happened? All of his followers were scattered. They left. You see, Gamaliel's saying, we've seen this movie before. <laughs> we know how this ends. We've seen it happen time and time again. Someone comes up claiming to be somebody. They get people to their cause. They get people to fight alongside them. They're killed, and guess what happens? The followers fade away. We have seen this movie before. You've seen this movie before. If you've ever worked at a place where it feels like they're rolling out a new initiative or a new, a new tagline, a new mission statement every other month, right? Like, oh, this is the new way we're going to do things. This is the new program we're going to start using. This is the way we're going to start loading the trucks. This is the way. And as your boss is saying it, you're standing back there going, give this probably like a month before they stop doing this, right? Give this like about a month before, like, eh, we don't really need to make any changes because there's not going to be any follow through, right? Like, you know how that movie's going. You've seen this movie before, right? That's what Gamaliel is saying. He's like, guys, we've, <laughs> we've seen this movie before. Someone comes up, he claims to be something, he gets killed and everyone leaves. Everyone scatters. So guys, if this is just another idea people are putting out there, this is just another little religious sect that's growing up, if this is just another doctrine or dogma that people are trying to push around, we don't have to worry about it. He continues, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. I imagine that had to be a moment where everyone in there is going, I didn't see it going this way. <laughs> I thought we were going to kill these guys too. But he says, hey, no, I'm telling you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. I love, I've heard this put this way before. Christianity, it's a nail. The harder you try to hit it, the deeper it goes in. You, you can't get rid of it. You can't get rid of it. If you try to stop these men, you will only find yourselves fighting against God. You know, most people, whenever they die, that's where their impact stops. It may go a little past their death, but it usually stops right then. That's one of the biggest fears I had whenever my dad died. Uh, he died in January of 2019. As we came up on the one-year anniversary I mean, yeah, I was like, oh man, I wonder how I'll do. I wonder how I'll feel and, you know, things like that. But honestly, the biggest thing on my mind was I'm just getting scared. We're a year out and once that year hits, it's like that's whenever the comments kind of stop. That's when 
his name doesn't come up as much. And I remember talking to my wife so many times saying, honestly, my biggest fear is he gets forgotten. That's my biggest fear. Not by us, not by like his family, not by close friends, but you, you know what I mean? Not forgotten, like who was Charlie Young? Like not like that, but forgotten in the sense that right now, whenever something's coming up, well, oh yeah, that's like dad. Remember he loved that place or he loved this. And I'm afraid of a couple years down the road when that same thing gets brought up and you don't mention dad because you don't even think of it because he's not here because that's the way of the world. That's how things are. You've, I, I would believe you've had that same experience with people in your own life who have passed away. Has anyone else been there? You can put it in the comments, raise hand. Like, yeah, I've been afraid of that too. People forgetting my loved ones. The reason we're afraid of that is because that's how the world works. When someone takes their last breath, their impact, their influence gradually starts to diminish every single day. Yet here we are, 2,000 years after Jesus' final breath, and the church is bigger, larger, more influential than it's ever been. How in the world can you explain that? How can you explain that? Think about it for a moment. I have a cousin, Sarah, Sarah Potter, who lives in Los Angeles, and she was born in 1985. Great, why did I tell you that, right? <laughs> like, uh, okay, and Sarah, which is a name, it's a Hebrew name that's been popularized by followers of Christ, lives in Los Angeles, the city of angels. The original longer title of the, the name includes uh, Mary, Jesus' mother. That's where she lives. And she was born 1,985 years after Jesus was born. Are you tracking with me? This man's influence... A Jewish carpenter turned preacher who only ministered for three years. The man never wrote a book. He never led an army. He never had a follower who on their own was influential and powerful. This man, 2,000 years later, is determining my cousin's name, Sarah, the name of the city she lives, Los Angeles, the city of angels, and the year she was born. We date it 1985, 1,985 years after Christ. Think about that impact. Think about that impact. How in the world does that make sense? How did Jesus have this gigantic impact on our world? It's simple. It's because our faith, your faith, is not tied to a garden or a flood. It's not, it's not tied to any of these stories in here. And man, I love these stories. These stories are so good. It's, it's not tied to any of those things. It's not tied to a garden or a flood. Your, your faith in Jesus. The reason, the reason we're up here right now and the reason you are turning into Cornerstone Church right now, the whole reason that you have uh, crosses on your chain, the whole reason that you have tattoos with Bible verses on it, the whole reason any of that happens, that cities are named for Jesus' followers, that people are named for Jesus' followers, that we use our time to be dated by when Jesus was born, the whole reason any of those things are happening is because our faith isn't tied to a garden or a flood. It's tied to someone who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. And here we are to thousand years later, living proof of that claim. Jesus called his shot and then knocked it out of the park. That's what happened. Our faith isn't tied to the Garden of Eden or the flood story of Jonah the whale. It is tied to an empty tomb. It's tied to the change and the disciples. It is tied to something better. Our faith is tied to an empty tomb. Our faith is tied to these cowardly followers of Jesus who suddenly became executed eyewitnesses because they refused to shut up about what they saw. Amen. Not what they believed, 
what they saw with their own eyes, they wouldn't be quiet about it because they had something better. Now, I know you may be thinking, this is the last thing I'm gonna say and then I'm gonna pray and we're out of here. Okay, I hear you, pastor. (laughs) But how do I know that my better than, how do I know that the resurrection is reliable? How do I know? Because I'm just gonna be honest, isn't this just semantics? It seems like this is just semantics because you're saying the resurrection is better than the Bible. Isn't the resurrection in the Bible? Like isn't this circular reasoning, like we're using the Bible to, to, to prove the Bible. So how is it better than the Bible if it's part of the Bible? And I gotta be honest, pastor, I don't know if you still really like the Bible. The way you're talking even today, I'm like, I don't know. If that is you, if you're questioning any of these things, be back here next week, set a reminder, set a reminder to your friends, share this post, do all that because we are gonna be tying all of this up with a knot next week. Be here for it, do, do, do not miss it. Set your reminder right now. Let's pray together, okay? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for our better than. We're thankful that we have something outside of the Bible. We're so thankful for your word. God, we honor your word. But we're thankful that your word is based off an actual historical event that took place. That the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a great story uh, that we read to our kids, but it is an actual historical event that took place that we can put our hope and our faith and our dreams on. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for all that you have done to to make our faith not just faith, to make our faith something that we can hang our faith on and know it's not gonna fall and it's not gonna falter. Thank you for the truth of the resurrection, God. Help it to impact us every day. Help us to remember that is why we are a follower of you. Not because of what our family does or because of what traditions have told us or anything. No, we are people who follow Jesus because he actually died and he actually got up again. That is why we are here. Thank you for the truth of the resurrection, Father. We love you so much. We pray all of this in your mighty and your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, like I said, make sure you're back here next week. If you have decided to take a step towards Jesus, please make sure you connect with our Journey Starting Point. The host is going to be posting links. Make sure you connect with us through Journey Starting Point because we can help you know what the next step in your relationship with Jesus looks like. So make sure that you do that. And then last, another thing, if, if you need help in any way, reach out to us. We are here to help you. We are here to pray for you. We're here to do whatever we can uh, to help you uh, as we walk through life together. Again, we are a church family. Key word on family. We are here for each other, uh, even in the midst of this pandemic. And then finally, we don't have to be in person for church to do what matters, right? Like we are, we're doing it right now in, in the ways that we are meeting, um, but we do miss everybody. <laughs> like, can I get an amen on that? Like we, we miss everybody. We can't wait uh, to meet again. Obviously we're going to be sharing with you uh, uh, information as we get it on when our in-person services can wisely begin. But in the meantime, in this in-between time, stay connected and be sharing uh, things that you see on our social platforms because we are planning some outdoor gatherings coming up pretty soon. Uh, this summer. And we just want to be thinking about what our next steps look like as we get back together. So make sure that you're following us on all of our platforms so you can stay up to date what's, uh, with what's going on and just getting involved, right? Getting involved, attending uh, for the first time in a long time, trying out a C group, becoming a ministry partner. There's so many ways you can get involved here at Cornerstone. And we want to make sure you hit the ground running once we're able to start meeting again. Thank you guys so much for worshiping with us today. You can now receive the blessing of the Lord. May Jesus Christ, our risen God and King forever be with you this day and every day. Amen. 
Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.